but a group of moms in Massachusetts are raising the volume for an entirely <laughs> different reason. I know, right? I love this. So, we did this what back in college before finals, but I never thought about doing this as a mom. So they're calling that a primal mom scream. Here's the deal. A group of moms, they all got together to release some stress by shouting out their emotions. This is the brainchild of a woman, uh, Sarah Harmon. She's a mental health therapist, yoga teacher, and founder of the School of Mom. And as you see, she is live with us this morning. I love it. Good morning Hi. to you, Sarah. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. You you know what? You just relieved our stress just from listening to you guys scream. You know, there are a lot of I people, feel lighter watching it. Right? You're smiling, you're laughing. So just tell us how this all got started. I mean, there are a lot of times where you scream into your pillow, but screaming out of the window is another thing. Yeah, so I'm a therapist and I work with moms and I also have a company that uh, supports moms and helps them learn mindfulness and self-compassion. And from 2020 onwards, I was having all these conversations with moms about rage and I was educating them about anger and how underneath anger, there's so many more emotions. There's mm. sadness, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's resentment. And they had no place to put it, right? Moms were at home and not in community and just struggling. And so kind of casually, I would say, you know, we should all get in the field and scream. And many of my clients would say, okay, okay, when, when can we do that? <laughs> and so we, we actually planned the first one on March 4th, 2021. And given everything that's happened in January this year, uh, people kept asking and I had something canceled. And so a week ago, uh, yesterday, uh, we did it again. We got together and we let it out. So Sarah, I, I read about this in the Boston Globe and I thought this is brilliant. Uh, but but where are there different types of screams that you can you can run through the gamut? Yeah, so the way I led it last week was we started with a regular scream, and I actually had my kids light up unicorn wand okay. as a prop to, to cue the scream because it was a dark night in the middle of a uh, 50-yard line in Charlestown, Massachusetts. So um, the first uh, scream was a regular scream. The second one, I encouraged people to yell all the profanities that they needed to, which was wow. amazing. Mm. The Man. third one was a free-for-all, um, and then we did two bonus screams. The fourth was for women and all everyone that ha was not available to scream with us because there's so many people that need to do this, as we know. And the last one was a fun kind of who can scream the longest, and uh, we, funny. we had a clear winner. Well, <laughs> for oh. No, I was, yeah. I was just wondering, like, like, what is it about screaming that makes you feel better? Yeah, I mean, I think it's this body's intuition to release, right? I mean, emotions move through us when we allow them to. And rage is something we all know. We can feel it. And it's such a, a, an emotion that is often taboo, especially for women. And so moms need to let this out. We all, As humans, we need to let this out. And really, the scream and hopefully this message for people is, is permission to let it out, go somewhere safe, grab a friend and release it. Cause I'll tell you, I feel lighter still. I feel lighter watching it. I'm going to, I can't wait to do it again. I love it. Well, I, I mentioned there are college campuses around the country that do it. So now I love that you're giving adults permission to do it. And when you do it collectively, yeah. there's just something about it. It just feels, yeah. it feels free. Liberating. My therapist has me breathe. Now I have to switch now gears to a little bit. Sarah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure meeting you. Thank you. That was great. Yeah, I have great. never wanted to scream more in my life than I do right really? now. Really? Well, hold on. Okay, let's do it.
Can we do it? Is that going to mess up the audience? I just Two. Oh, my God, I can't. One. Ah! I have third issues. Ooh. I can't do that. That was great. My name is Sarah Harmon. I'm a licensed mental health therapist, a mindfulness teacher, and the founder of the School of Mom. And the School of Mom stands for Mothering Oneself Mindfully. It's a resource and a community for women and moms to learn the practices of mindfulness and self-compassion, and most importantly, to integrate those practices in, into their daily lives so that they can first be the patient, resilient, present human that they ultimately want to raise. I, I always start by telling people I love a good pitch. I love it when someone has a strong, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you, boom, I like it. Bravo. Yeah, it bravo. takes practice, right? It takes practice, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm good now. I'm confident at, at saying. <laughs> um, We're going to definitely talk about the business. I mean, I feel like I, you couldn't be in a right time. I mean, like this, it's like this time was meant for you. So we're going to like really um, dig deep into that. But I always say before we understand the business, we need to understand the person behind the business. The human that decided I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing just to create this. But who is Sarah? Where is Sarah? Where is Sarah from? Like, let's talk about little Sarah all the way up to college. Oh, boy. So Sarah grew up on the East Coast of uh, the States. I grew up north of Boston in a town called Amesbury. And I went to school on the East Coast. I, then I went to college in Ohio. I went to Denison University in the Midwest, uh, had a blast there. And then I always knew from, I, I, this is, you know, I think kind of rare, but like, I knew I was going to be a therapist from the first psychology 100 class I took at, at Denison. I there was something that clicked for me around psychology. And I remember looking at the course catalog and every single psychology class, like I just got, I, it lit me up and I was like, this is it for me. Um, but I also knew that when I graduated from undergrad that I was like, I had no business <laughs> counseling anyone at 21. I was like, I need to go, you know, I don't know if I can swear here. I need to go F up. I need to be confused. I need to go live my life. And then I will come back uh, and, and, you know, go back to grad school. And so a friend of mine from college um, my best friend, Kristen was like, let's move to San Diego. And I hadn't, I was like, sure, that sounds good. So we drove cross country. We, we lived in San Diego for three or so years. And I worked, um, for a company called active.com, which I was doing, uh, sales inside sales. It was an awesome company. I didn't love what I was doing. Right. Um, and the time came where I was like, all right, I, I'm ready to go back to the East coast. But, um, I am someone who, when I get when I set my mind to something, <laughs> I want to do it. And I'd studied abroad in Australia in college and uh, a trip to New Zealand had fallen through that I was supposed to do. And I said to myself, I kind of made a promise to myself in college, like, I'm going to get back to New Zealand and I'm going to go back for at least like six months. So the time was then I, I left San Diego and I, I went to New Zealand and I got a working holiday visa. And I ended up, I, my plan was to like ski and be kind of like a, you know, just like a pick apples <laughs> as you do when you have a working holiday visa in New Zealand. And because of my job at Active, I actually was connected to the, the announcer of Ironman. If anyone knows Mike Riley, he's kind of well-known in the, in the triathlon community. And he connected me with Ironman New Zealand. 
And next thing you know, I got offered a job at Ironman New Zealand running a women's duathlon series. So I, for then almost three years, three years, um, I ran a women's duathlon series. And for those that are listening, like the duathlon is uh, a run walk. We stress the walk, a bike, and then a run walk. And it was called the Real Women's Duathlon Series. And real stands for regular exercise, active lives. So the whole mission behind the series was about getting women who either maybe had been inactive for a period of time or had never been active to get out and to have fun and to, to have a goal. And it was so amazing. That's why I stayed for three years. Um, so I also was on the Ironman team, but I owned my, my particular event was these 10 duathlons all over New Zealand. And so that was amazing. Uh, and then, and then it was time. Wait, wait. So this is good. Yeah. This is a perfect time to stop. Okay. Then it was yes. time. All right. So, um, let's rewind all the way to Amesbury. I love Amesbury. I love going over the bridge where everyone, anyone yes. that's in New England, we know, like we know yes. you go over that little bridge, you see the little, like the water, you see the little houses. Yes. Like it is the sweetest. That's quintessential, where I lived. <laughs> yeah. Quintessential New England town. I mean, I live in Marblehead. Yes. So oh, I get nice. the whole entire, like we live, we're, we're coastal people. We get the whole entire quintessential. Like, everyone knows their neighbors and things like that. So I, I do love that. Yeah. Um, being a new England kid, um, we are surrounded by education. We're surrounded by nature. Um, I'm first generation born in America. We, like I was conceived in Haiti. I was born in America. I love saying that. Cause like I was little, my mom was eight and a half months pregnant. Cause I was that I'm the American, the, the reason why they stayed um, yes. and education. And I was born in New York, but they were like, New York is definitely not for us, but new England. I mean, like being in Massachusetts yeah. was education, nature, the big backyards. I mean, it was just all there for us. How was it for you when you left to now check out Ohio? Because I did the same thing where I went to Texas and Amazing. I, and I was like, yeah. wow, this is yeah. different. I mean, it was, it, it, we thought, well, I thought I was tired of being here and I left and I'm like, oh my God, what a dramatic change. So how was it for you when you first left and you went to Ohio and why Ohio, by the way? Yeah. So I went to Phillips Exeter. I went to the private school mm-hmm. um, and I was I went to the Catholic there. school, half yes, Catholic school, public right. school. Yep. So it was the most vigorous academic experience I've ever had. It was an amazing experience. Um, but to be very forthright, because why not? Like I didn't get in to any of the, the, the I, my first choice was Princeton and I, I wanted to go to Princeton because everyone wanted to go to Princeton or like everyone wanted to go to an Ivy league. Like I think in my school, in my, uh, my grade, mm-hmm. like it was something crazy, like 60 to 70% of us applied to, um, like Georgetown. I never even saw Georgetown. Right. But I got caught up in this name of like, oh, I need to go to somewhere. One of these. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness I didn't get in. I didn't get into Princeton. And I'm so glad I didn't because basically was it the my options, you applied to? No, I applied to probably like seven or eight. Um, my, you know, now that I have kids, I, I understand this, but my college counselor's child fell off a swing set when I was like right in the middle of, of, uh, of when learning about colleges and interviewing. And I, I kind of like, she wasn't really present. I remember just like my parents had to call the college counseling office because they were like, we are so confused. Like Sarah is like, there's no rhyme or reason to her list. Like yeah. have, what conversations are you having with her? She has like this one. It's like, it literally, like I closed my eyes and just picked, um, I didn't really know what I wanted. And so I, you know, I, I was like Princeton, Georgetown, um, Khan college, 
uh, God, this is bringing me back. Um, Denison, because my my sister went to Denison. She was okay. at current, current, and she was loving it. Um, uh, I think uh, George Washington, maybe. Um, There's a few. Other, like, what else was there? I can't remember. Um, it was random. It really was random. If you looked at it, you were like, she doesn't really know what she wants. Yeah. Um. So I ended up getting into. Um. I, I definitely got into like Hong College and Denison and, and a few of the other smaller ones. And I think I was waitlisted at Georgetown. Um, and I got a scholarship at Denison. I also am an athlete. I played lacrosse and field hockey. And so mm-hmm. like the idea of playing at D3 sounded fun. And again, my sister was there and it was yep. like, I, I adore her and she was having a great experience. So I went to Ohio and, um, and it, like, if looking back on it now, like it, it really felt kind of like I, I didn't, I wasn't too involved. It was like, okay, I applied, I got in, that was my option and mm-hmm. I got a great scholarship. And so I went. Um, and here's, I, I agree with you in that, like, I, now I love, I, I like people that grew up in New England, right? It's like, we, we come back because we always, love it. And always. Yeah, we love it. And I, but I am so glad I got out because here, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm guessing you saw this too. So I went to Denison and then moving to California too. And I said, oh, I went to Exeter and people were like, what? Like they didn't know. They didn't, they didn't care. They they were exactly. like, I don't, well, and that is the funniest thing. Cause I mean, yeah. literally it is like so funny where we throw around the private schools, the Catholic schools and stuff like that. The second you leave New England, everyone's like, don't care. No. Don't, don't no. care. And that's when I got to the point where even when I'm like dealing with my interns, I always tell them, I'm like, don't care about your 4.0. Do you work no. well with others? Yes, exactly. Right. And that, I think about my education Denison, like academically, like what I learned at Exeter was above and beyond. When I got to Denison, like I wasn't really challenged in the classroom and I didn't really work that hard, you know, and really for me, my, my liberal arts education was a, a how to be a human, right? It was very social and yep. I played sports and I was in a sorority and um, I, I had an amazing experience kind of evolving into myself and I went abroad, right? I went to Australia, which was amazing. And so um, and I knew like, I, and then I also still knew I, I, I needed to, to do something else still. I, so like Ohio was, it was great. Like Midwest check, you know? Uh, and then it was like, okay, West coast time to do the West coast and explore that and, and be out of my comfort zone and mm-hmm. not be in that like new England box, which is like, I would go back to extra events and like these social events, which were like, Oh, so where did you go to college? And now where are you, you know, is in like, it was like the four questions that put you into a box. And I, I hated it. I was like, get me out of here. Like Exeter was amazing in shaping who I am, but I, that is not the first thing I want to say in a conversation anymore. Yeah. Right. I, I need to get away from it. Well, um, I, I, well, being for a person that's lived in another, another country um, and being a person that was, that's being that um, first generation, I always find it very interesting when people will automatically, especially in the States, they'll always say, tell me what you do. I'm like, and, and so I turn the question around. Like I go, tell me who you are. And then they yeah. start talking about school and work. I'm like, no, 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 I didn't ask that. I'm like, I asked yeah. tell me who you are. And people are like, well, 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 what do you want me to say? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not you. Yeah. They don't know how to answer it. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause we're so defined by our, our schools or our roles or our jobs. Um, yeah. So I, and I loved that about, uh, I love that about of San Diego where I live in California and especially yeah. New Zealand, like New Zealand was so refreshing. Cause they're like, I'm sorry, what is private school? Like, why would you pay? And also even with uni, they're like, 
why are Americans paying so much money yeah. to for go to a school? school? Yeah. Yeah. Where they don't even, they come out with like a, like a, a like a communications degree or like a, like they just didn't even understand it. They were like, what, so what are you paying for? You know, it's so funny. And I, it like, it was for the first time, like, you know, as you, as you have experienced just getting like having a different dialogue, having someone like give yeah. you some perspective on on your life and your upbringing and what you've been kind of programmed to think is quote unquote normal. It was so refreshing, I thought, and uh, really it's shaped me. So I look, so we, we have a very, very well-defined trajectory, which I love. And and I'll touch, I'll touch on that for a second in a second. Um, Did you find it amazing when you were going to these, you were having conversations with um, the, the, our, our beautiful Kiwis and they're, they knew about our history and they were engaging at, and especially at certain ages. So I'm, I'm assuming you're in your twenties when you're there. Yep. Yep. So they're having in-depth conversations about us history, culture, et cetera. And were you like, I don't even know that about my own culture. Yes. I don't even know that about my own country. That is so funny. No one's ever brought that up to me before. Um, and yes, I remember on, so I have a distinct memory, right? When I was there, Obama got elected mm-hmm. and it was like, it was bigger than their own election. And I remember thinking like my boss was so much more informed than I was about what was going on. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh, this is really putting things in perspective here around the States and like how, how influential you are in this world. Like, you know it, but you don't know it until you experience that. And it was on like a coffee shop board. Like there was something about like, it, like, and it really struck me of like, oh, wow. Like. They are, they're so tuned in to our news. And in a way that like made me actually, I was a little bit ashamed to be honest. Of like, I can't believe I don't know yeah. as much as they know. Like how, how do I not know what they're, what they're saying? How can I not answer this question that she has? Isn't it, it, it I mean, it always uh, blew my mind because I remember um, just being at, I mean, I travel a lot. And so being at cafes and things like that and listening to young kids talking to their parents and the level of conversation was so higher it was like the level of, and I'm like smart like oh my god I go I thought I was smart but oh my god and so when my parents would always have these conversations with us they're like you are not a local person you are a global citizen I go and in order to be a global a better global citizen you have to understand what everyone is going through and I'm like and I'm like oh whatever until you went and saw your peers and you're like okay now I like like you I was embarrassed because I heard from my parents but you know when you hear from your parents it's a whole different thing but when you see your peers and they're having these these conversations or they're asking you and then they look at you like, you're an idiot. Why do you not know this about your own country? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, no, it's so true. It's, it's such a great point to bring up. And, uh, you know, and it also like renewed this pride in my country in a way too, of, yeah. of like, wow, like I, I'm an American and I'm now I'm, I'm more grateful for it. Right. Like they were, they reminded me of how, lucky we are to live in our country and to have that passport the the connection that we have which is comical so you went from jobs and education I was always for love so um I went to Ohio because I went to Ithaca I had a love that went to Ithaca and I remember Ithaca is a very alternative school in Ohio and I remember going to the anger room where there were like like there were like hammers and there were like things that you could break and I'm like what is this all about they're like when you're frustrated, you just come in here, you bang things and you break things. I'm like, so weird, but so cool at the same time. 
So that was number one connection with me. All right. So what, I'm sorry, quintessential town, Massachusetts, yes. Ohio. Um, my second love, uh, uh, Porter was from Vermont. First two years of our relationship, our last two years of our relationship, he was in Santa Monica. So um, I was working at Kiss 108 and every other weekend I was at in California. Like that's back in the day where I would buy tickets in bulk and every other weekend the show would be, the show would end, I'd hop on a plane and every other weekend I was in California. So that was my West Coast connection to you. And the last one was when I went, I went to University of Houston because I needed to get out. So you went to Ohio, I went to University of Houston and Houston literally kicked me in the butt where I'm like, I went to, now don't giggle. I went to prove to everyone like, oh, that whole entire white black thing is not really real. I think it's all in your head. I'm going to go to school down south. And I'm like, I went to school down south. I'm like, oh, oh my God, you really don't like me for my color? What? What? So it was just like being the Haitian bubble, we're protected. And then you go out and then the America is like, it's like you're in the UN and when you're in from a different country. So then when you yeah. get hit in the face with the, the reality of like the travesties, I'm like, I go, oh my God. And of course, then they would throw like, you're a Yankee. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I Red Sox. I don't do the Yankees. So then it was just like this confusion, this naive little kid. So when I left a university of Houston, I moved to Australia for a year. Oh, no way. So I, and where and were you that, in Australia? I was in Australia. It was in the nineties. And so 93, yeah. 91, 92, 93. Uh, and I went back when my parents retired to Florida. I went back for, uh, for like 15 days. Cause I just couldn't deal. But I literally, if it wasn't so far away, I would have never come back because yeah. people are the dedication to family. Um, it's not about work. It's about the community. It's, I mean, it was just like, like all the, just even seeing the you know, like certain birds and stuff like that you're not seeing things in zoos. You're just seeing things around you. And you say picking apples. I wasn't going to pick fruits only because the snakes were real and they were big. And I'm like, no way am I going to pick bananas or anything? Cause the bananas would start moving. You're like, that's not a banana. It's not yeah. a banana. <laughs> So I just well, love Australia that. is a, Australia is a whole different ballgame, right? Like New Zealand was a little bit like I, I felt a little safer there because Australia, like you, you turn around the corner and right there, your, your life could be in danger. <laughs> the, the animals, I mean, I mean, literally it's really real. It's not the people, it's the animals. And mind you, I was there when Russell Crowe did a, um, a movie about uh, Rumper Stumper. And it was like when Aborigines and the white Australians were like in total battle. So it, the, and it was like, it was crazy when I was there, but it was still amazing. I mean, I live on Byron Bay. I was like working on the water. I mean, it was, it was silly. It was just so ridiculously silly, but I, I it was, I get it. I mean, and everyone's like, did you go to New Zealand? I'm like, no, I have Kiwi friends, but I didn't go because I don't know. I just was in Australia. I just, yeah. I'll go one day because yeah, I'm not afraid of, I'm not afraid go. of those flights. It's the best. Yeah. I, like, people are like, I go, oh my God, so far. I'm like, I'm not afraid of a long flight. It doesn't bother me. I went to Dubai for a weekend. It doesn't bother yeah. me. Yeah. All right. It's so I, I can't wait to go back. It's such oh. a special place. Yeah. It, it, special it, you know what? Like, like I, I'm speechless in that part because it will, you can't really verbalize to people how special it is until you're there, until you see it, until you talk to the people, until you are like eating the food. No one will understand it because it's so far away. People yeah. just don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't get it. And, you know, I think for me, you know, talking about like the, the personal journey, that country held me in a time of my life where I was pretty lost, you know, like I, people are like, oh, it's so cool. You went to New Zealand. I'm like, I was driving around in a car on the other side of the road by myself 
And I didn't know what, like, I really, I was, I, I was lost a lot of the time. Like, yeah. you know, I was having, like, it was really part of my journey to become a therapist because I reckoned with like my sense of being and what am I meant to do in my life? And why am I so alone right now? And, you know, like it was, it was such a, and then of course I made amazing connections, but yeah. um, I really think like it was very formative for me that time in New Zealand to be like that far away from your comfort zone, even though you have the comfort of the Kiwis who are amazing and the yeah. English language, you know, I mean, you're on the other side of the planet, <laughs> like, <laughs> In order to talk to your family, you know, it's like, it, it was impossible to get them yeah. on the phone at the, at the right time. Yeah. I, I, I love that you just mentioned how you went to a place and I, I felt the same way. Like you went to a place not knowing, I mean, cause back in the day they had liberal arts. I don't even know if they have liberal arts. I, I, there's always a new name for something, but liberal arts was, we have, if you, if, you, if someone had a liberal arts degree, oh, you have no idea what you want to do. I'm like, well, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I have no idea what I'm going to do. So you're like wandering around, you're in a car. I mean, it is like, everything's opposite. Um, yep. How did you not feel like you felt lonely, but how did you find ways to find comfort in yourself? Like I go and like, you're building yourself out. You're, I mean, I'm not building, but you're climbing yourself out of that moment. Cause I don't want to use the word despair, but you felt lonely. You didn't know what direction you had, you were going in. You're away from everything that you know and that you feel comfortable with. Um, what were the steps that you took to try to find ways to get out of that? It was nature, honestly. Like I, for me, you know, there they call it tramping. Um, I'm a hiker or a walker, whatever it is. And when I, 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 I have, I, I just have these so many snapshots and then closing my eyes, honestly, Jody, and, and thinking of when I would get on my car, I would just walk and, and mo like mother nature was my friend. <laughs> like that was it. Like in all these moments of alone, I would be hiking alone and I would have music. I remember an old school iPod. I, it was like music and nature. That is what was my companion in so many of those days until I got my job and I made friends and, yeah. you know, and, and but there, the significant, like the beginning part, I was significantly alone. And it truly was that I found solace in the outdoors and, and think of that, like it is, it's amazing to now reflect. I, I thank you for doing this little journey because now I'm thinking of like how that was a, a, that is a real part of who I am now is that for me, when I'm feeling lost or confused, like it's always go outside and go into nature and New Zealand has this breathtaking landscape that instantly brings you into your body and puts things into perspective, right? I mean, you cannot stand in Queenstown or in Wanaka and look out at this beautiful vista of of mountain and water mm. and not be like, okay, things kind of make sense here. Like mm. I trust, I'm going to trust that this is where I'm meant to be. You just can't, it's hard not to think that. Right. So I just really, I would have to just get out of my car and go outside. And, and that really got me through until I, as I said, I made the connections through my work. I, again, like you, nature. Um, I always tell people, they're like, you live so far away from Boston. Like it's 16 miles to Boston from Marblehead. It's not that far. Yeah. I get to look out the window and I see the ocean. Um, I get to see the sunrise. I get to see the sunset. I get to see the moon as clear as day. It literally is better than going to church. Um, yes. It is just like every single thing gets, it doesn't get washed away, but it makes you feel like, you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I, I love that you said that because I think that during the pandemic, more and more people discovered outdoors 
Yes. They yes. were, they discovered I'm going to get a bike. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm not going to hop in the car. I can't go anywhere, but I mean, you could, yeah. um, or I get in my car and just drive West. They're like, where West? I go, just driving West. I'll land somewhere. I'm going to discover a new coffee shop, a new like bookstore. Now you're going to just discover by just going outside and doing something versus sitting in front of the TV center and watching Tiger King. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Which is like, we're all so overdone on the other side now, right? Like we did explore, but we needed it because we've been on screens more than ever, more than ever. Um, when you decided to come back, so like you, like you had that that moment of the aha, what was that aha? My aha when I was in Australia was I was in Canberra and I just felt like I missed my family. I mean, it was the over, I mean, like I was this independent kid and now like I, the overwhelming feeling of, I miss my family. I miss rice and beans. I miss my mom. I miss my cousins. I miss everyone. So it just overwhelmed me. What was your moment of it's time for me to come home? It was very much the same. You know, what happened was, is I was in my twenties. So weddings started to happen. And, mm-hmm. um, I remember missing a wedding that all my friends were at and I saw pictures of it. I think we didn't even have Instagram then, right? It was probably on Facebook or something. Um, and I felt this pit in my stomach of I'm, I'm starting to miss things and I don't want to miss out. Right. And it's like three years is, I, I, I believe this now. And I've, I've said this to kind of, uh, you know, clients that have counseled and things like that. I'm like, you, you, it comes up, there's a chunk of time, mm-hmm where you have to make that decision of, okay, am, am I going to make a whole new life here? Or is this like kind of a short chapter and I'm going to go in and really re-enter? And not that like my family and friends wouldn't have taken me back any point, but I personally felt that if I was going to, if I was going to start missing all these big events that meant a lot to me, I would really start to transition out of some of those friendships and relationships that I like, I mean, my college friends, I, I just, they're, they're my best friends. And I, and I didn't want to miss that. And of course, family, I have a very close knit family and it was heartbreaking to me to, to, you know, never be able to connect time zones and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a hard enough time on East coast, West coast, and then you go, you know, you go abroad and it was even harder. And so that was really it. It was this turning point of, am I ready to start really missing the things and the people that I love and am I ready to like kind of looking around me? I was like, I love my community here, but am I ready to put some real roots down? Right. It's like that. It was the, that transition of like, if I stay here any longer, it's time to really put some roots down. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because people kept saying to me, um, you're going to meet a Kiwi and you're going to live there. And, and I literally said, I am not. I, I was like, <laughs> I am determined to not like meet anyone here. And because I, I am going home. And I, it was almost like I had this guard up around love, right? Which is like a whole other topic. But I was like, I will not meet Akimi here because I know I'm going home. I don't want to put myself in a position where I have to make that decision. I actually ended up dating a guy from New Jersey, ironically, who is just such a wonderful human. Um, wait, but, from, you know, uh, wait, a guy from New Jersey that lived in, in New Zealand? That, that lived in New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, that was, that was kind of the, the relationship I had over there, but um, yeah, I was kind of pretty, pretty, again, stubborn and firm to say like, no, this is it. Like I'm going home. I don't want to confuse it. It's hard enough already. Um, but it was pretty clear at that point, like it's time to go. And the way that the, the multi-sport cycle works, like event management 
is hard. If you know any people that have been, especially in triathlon, like it is a grind for 10 events a season. It worked when I was down there because that was really my life. My life was the triathlon community. And every weekend I'd see my event manager and our team. And, but you know, back in the States, like I didn't want to be spending my weekends doing that. And and I wanted to be spending my weekends, you know, it really was time to transition job wise too, because that wasn't kind of the the job that I really wanted to to sign up for. As I said, I, I really knew I wanted to become a therapist. And I think that that the, especially the, the, the women component, this empowerment of women was a true stepping stone uh, to where, to the work that I do today. So you get back here and then what happens next? So I get back and I start grad school at Leslie in Boston. I do the master's in clinical mental health counseling program there. And I dive into a 30 day yoga teacher training uh, in New York city in through yoga works. I do just like immersive deep dive and it was so amazing. And then I start teaching yoga while I'm in grad school. And Mm -hmm. as any yoga teachers know, when you first start teaching yoga, it is a grind. I was teaching all over the city while in grad school and interning for free, you know, in clinical internships are hard, you know, you're a young clinician and you're just, it's very overwhelming. Um, the positions that I had, like there was a lot of vicarious trauma that I, and it was, uh, I looking back on the time of my life, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe what I did on a daily weekly basis. I would intern and then I would go teach and then I'd go to class and then I'd do it all again. Um, and it was, it was, it was a grind for a few years uh, for sure. And then I got my master's and kind of the goal was always like, you know, it, it, while I was in school, it was heavy yoga. Um, And then the goal was to then flip it and do more, you know, begin my, my true therapeutic work and then do kind of yoga on the side. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I did. I, I, once I got my master's, I switched um, and I was very fortunate. My second internship was at a college at Wentworth Institute of Technology. And I loved working in the college space. I loved my, uh, my manager, my boss. They were just, they, uh, they shaped me as a, as a, as a clinician. And I was fortunate to be able to stay on there. So I got my, my master's and I continued on after my internship, which is a really lucky situation. I was able, uh, after you graduate as a therapist in Massachusetts, you have your LMHC, licensed yeah. mental health counselor. You need 3,300 supervised hours. So basically two years Ooh. of supervised work before you can get your actual license. So my goal was to always to go into private practice, but I knew I needed, like I had to get those hours. So I stayed out at the college to get those. Um, and while I was in that time, I had my first kid and, uh, again, my, my boss was amazing. And I said to her, I'd really love to dabble in private practice. Mm -hmm. And so I had my first kid and I, and I, at that point I had gotten my license and I started with one day, uh, four hours in a little office in back Bay. And the kind of the rest is like history, even though I'm sure we'll dive into it. Like that was the beginning of my entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I, I had my second kid and it was time to say goodbye fully, although it took me a while. I, I'm in a business group and we look back on that time when I, you know, it's, they, they compare it to like the ex-boyfriend that you just can't say goodbye to. You're like, you know, I just like, but I need to stay in this relationship, like just because it's safe. Right. And that was my relationship with Wentworth. And I love, I mean, I, I just, I speak so highly of, of my time there, but I, I was afraid. I was afraid to let go of like, you know, the safety of, of uh, a, a paycheck uh, that was regular and, mm-hmm. and to be able to, to close the door and walk away, you know, to get on the orange line. And that was it. Like I could leave. Of course I emotionally 
I did feel some of the resonance of my clinical work, but like, you know, there was no, I just left work at work. Um, but yeah, I had my second kid who's now three. Uh, and I went full-time when I came off maternity leave, I went full-time uh, on my own. There are, I mean, I, I, I mean, I personally, I'm not going to lie to you. I love this mass exit of people leaving jobs, Matt, look, Matt, look, mass exit. Yeah. Um, I have been watching this for decades because a few things, number one, take care of the humans as basic as can be. Like, I mean, companies are not taking care of the humans. Number one, number two, HR, love them or hate them. HR is a dictator of who gets to get visibility in getting a job or not. And now it's flipped where the humans are like, it's not about HR anymore. It's about us. It's about our needs and how we want to have a balanced life. Um, so for me, I've been watching all this, but people just assuming that Dunkin' Donuts employees are the ones that are leaving. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's individuals that have six, six figure jobs are leaving and walking away and they want to do their own thing. Yeah. So how was it for you where you didn't leave? Look, you, you left. You're like, I mean, you could have been part of that mass exit because people are not defining who are the people are leaving. They're just seeing the big number. And I'm like, yeah. let's break it down of why people are leaving, not who, but why are they leaving? You left, you have two children. You've <laughs> always wanted to do the whole entire doing your own thing. Um, talk about how hard it was for you, that decision-making and what was that moment of it's time for me? Because there's so many people that are going to be listening to you thinking, I want to do something by myself, but you just said it, the fear of the paycheck. Like I go, yeah. the fear of the insurance, the fear of the 401k, all those things that you're like, so like holding on to, can you talk to anyone that's listening in regards of what was that moment of, okay, it's time to cut the ties, the fear of it. And how did you get over the fear of it? Yeah. Yeah. The, so the fear of for sure, the paycheck, right. Was part of it. And this, like, I know this, like, I know this is predictable. Um, I, I show up and I leave and, um, it's just very safe. And I think for our, as humans, you know, to, to evolve, we need safety. Right. And so we're, we're drawn to stay in those safe places, but I craved work with uh, a, a different population. So like, like professionally, I was craving uh, a different type of, I've been working with college students for a long time. I love them, but I was ready for a different conversation in, in the therapy space. Um, I really wanted more flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. Higher ed is seven or is eight fifteen to four forty-five. 45. Yep. Those are the, those are the hours. And they were so strict on them. Um, even though like, you know, so my boss, Maura Mulligan is like, I mean, she will go down in the history, I think, uh, for, for all of all time of the best bosses ever. I mean, the conversations and how supportive she was and how she would say, Sarah, it's okay. You know, she would just say, it's okay if you're showing up at 830 because, you know, it started to become so stressful. Like my nanny was coming at 730. My, my, my first kid had a nanny from 730 to 530. Mm -hmm. And when the, the, this business group, which is a big piece of this. I, I think this is a big part of my story is I had a, a sounding board of women yep. who were like compassionate, but direct to say it is time, Sarah, like, cause I can talk myself out of anything. Right. But they, they were like this time. And one of the things they reflected back to me was you're actually making about the same as your nanny here. Like your value is so much bigger. 
And my, again, my boss was amazing. She went to bat with me. She got me a couple of raises, but at the end of the day, like to justify having a nanny for that length of time and then not making a lot of money, you know, I mean, it was, my husband's an accountant. So he was like, this just like, doesn't make sense. It made sense for when I needed the clinical hours, but now that I have them and I have my license, it doesn't make sense anymore. It, It is really painful when you realize you're living in the world of net zero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a, a, and it truly, for me, it's never truly been about the money. And that is, I I think I, what's important to note is my privilege in this decision. Like I have a husband who has amazing insurance. Like, so that was a part, like we've always been on his insurance um, or once we got married, obviously, because it was just better. And, um, and so that was enabled me to not have that be a huge factor, which was Mm -hmm. a gift hundred percent. It was a gift. Um, I also have a husband who has a job that like, if I had, if I had a lapse in clients, right. As you grow your practice, mm-hmm. like we were still going to have food on the table. We were yeah. going to be able to like feed our kids. Right. So, so I do think that like, I, I acknowledge that, that my decision to, to do this without too much disruption as a family mm-hmm. uh, was such an honor and a privilege for me. Um, it didn't, it still made it hard though. Right. Like even with those factors, like being in line, like it was my own shit that I like had to get over. Right. It was my own barrier of like, well, what if I can't do this? Like, will clients actually come to me or, you know, are, is it, are they going to pay a rate that like, you know, that I think is worth it? Because once you get into owning a business and running a business, right. Your hourly rate, when you boil down, like between all the things, right. Which you learn quickly as a, as a clinician in private practice, you're actually not making that much. Your rate is like, well, well I, I, I love how you quick. said that. Well, well, I, I, I want to definitely touch base on what you just said, because people just assume, well, you know what? You have a husband, you have a wife, you're going to be fine. You're going to be safe. You're going to grow this business. You'll be like, whatever's. And I go, whether you fail or you succeed, you're going to be fine. And people don't realize mentally, personally, physically, I, I'm not fine just because I want, if you're like taking a risk to do something, you want to succeed at it and it's going to be bumpy. But it doesn't matter if like, yeah, we have a house, we have food on the table, but I'm still in fetal position in my bed because I couldn't make something work. And I think that that's one of the things that people forget about talking about. Yeah. And I have a husband who very much is like, he's, you know, he, he doesn't want to give like, even though we're married and he's supportive, he's like, he doesn't want to give me the free ride in that sense. Right. Like he, in, in, he would support me, of course, but at the same time, like I have this inner drive in me that is so strong and fiery. Like I can't stop it. Right. I have, like, I could feel this entrepreneur flame that I just was like, I I gotta go, I gotta do this. And so it was really trusting that like, yes, I can, like, I have a safety net a little bit, but also like, if I don't do this, like I actually, it's like, it will be worse. I'll be worse off. Like I actually will like kind of rot a little bit in my career, I think, because I won't be pushing myself to do what I just so uh, clearly feel that I need to do the work that I need to do this calling that I have, you know, when you're working for anyone else in in higher ed, there's barriers to what you can do. You know, there's, there's limits. And I am not someone that likes those barriers or limits. I want to, 
I want to do the work I want to do. Uh, and I want to have the hours I want to have it. And I want to charge the rate that I want to charge mm-hmm. um, and provide value that really is connected to what's important to me. Uh, the group that you're part of, I think that everyone that goes into a business, they try to go in by themselves and then they sit there and try to find mentors. Um, and I literally was just speaking to a woman yesterday about how she was like talking about a group that they're designing. And I'm like, I go, no, thank you. And she's like, she goes, no, no, she goes, I want you to be a speaker at the group. I don't want you to join the group, but it'd be really nice. And I said to her, I'm like, I go, you know what? I'm to the point where I don't enjoy groups anymore because someone is riding on someone else's coattail. And no one's coming in there as even anymore. So I find them to be disingenuous. And I look forward to finding a kick-ass group. Like you just said, they said to you, no, enough of enough of you being in your own little bubble. We're going to sit there and pop the bubble with not just pins and needles, but with knives. We're like, we're popping yes. your bubble. Yes. To find, like, how did you find that group? Because so many people are looking for a, a, a group that no filter. I always tell people, I go, if you want, if you want to go jean shopping, definitely call me because I will go and I'll tell you, wrong genes for you and your body. Yes. So how did oh you God. find that group that were, they were like no holes bar, no filter, and they were making sure that you're growing and same thing, you doing the same thing for them. I mean, this is going to like make me emotional thinking about it because one of them, <clears throat> I was on the phone with in tears today. She talked me off my own ledge and like, this is a group I've been now with for almost five years. And so what happened was, is um, it was a conversation on the playground. Uh, and one of the moms who owned a business in town mm-hmm. uh, had the idea and, and talked to another mom who I'm friends with. Right. And before we know it, there was a group uh, one has sent, there was, there's a kind of a core group. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a couple of people come in and out um, that haven't quite, whether they moved or they transitioned out of uh, owning a business or whatever, for whatever reason, but we've had this core group that we've now been in it, uh, not just the journey of business ownership, but of motherhood. Yep. And that is what has been. I, I just can't speak highly enough about how valuable this is. I, w- I, l- I would not be here today in, in the capacity that I am. I would not be, as, I mean, I'd be here, but I would, <laughs> my business wouldn't be where it is. I wouldn't yep. be as confident as I am in the mom um, and feel like they have my back in a way I've never, ever felt before. Mm-hmm. And so it really was about that like conversation. Like I, I was just like, yes, that sounds great. And I was kind of early on. I wasn't even, I, I think I only had the one day of private practice. I was so, but I had my yoga business. And so I was yeah. kind of doing that on the side. Um, and they are like, I mean, I texted them this morning and I was like, you guys, like, you guys, like, here's an article that was on uh, a video. They just, my thing came out on CNN and we're like each other's biggest cheerleaders, right? That's the first person I want to tell really is like mm-hmm. this group because they have seen the tears. They have been with me in the, like, I don't know if I can do this. And they've also been with me in the, like, I- I'm going on the today show, <laughs> you know, and there's no judgment. We just, it's like, and as you said, it's that very directness. It's this, I love you. And I'm not going to have this conversation anymore. Like we've, what's the next step for you? And in a loving, compassionate way. And the other thing I think that has been so amazing about this group is, you know, women can be catty, right. And I'm, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm a guilty as charged. I definitely get in conversations even still where I hear myself speaking. I'm like, I don't want to be talking about this person behind their back or whatever. This group is a, you, if you have beef, you pick up the phone and talk to them. And I love it. All of these women, we've all had hard conversations with each other. And I will tell you that has elevated my, my, uh, 
me and my business and also just me in terms of like who, how I show up as a friend more than anything, right? Like just to say, Hey, you said that it didn't feel good. Can we talk about it? And we hang up being like, God, I love you more now. (laughs) And that like, I could, I mean, I could just talk about these women all day. They are, they inspire me. They support me. They cry with me. Um, and I, and I give it right back and I, you know, it's just, there's just no questions about our, our loyalty and and how we have each other's back. I think that is absolutely amazing. I mean, whether you are a male, you, whether you're a female, um, I love the fact that if you are running a business and you, um, can find a group of individuals that will literally, literally have your back and literally sit there and be like very frank with you beyond Uh, one of my mentors. Marion Hurd, and this is like the same thing where like with Marion Hurd, I will like give her the raw rods all the way. She was from Connecticut and she moved to Massachusetts. Massachusetts. She didn't know anyone. She met a group of women um, and literally these same women, I mean, she's retired now, same women meet, they go to McDonald's. She's like, she's like, you don't have to go to fancy dinners. She's like, we go to McDonald's. I get my French fries. I get my milkshake. I go, and we, and we sit for an hour. We do this every single month, every month. She's like, we've been doing it for decades. And like, and everyone crying, laughing children, uh, deaths, uh, being a single, I um, being a, a widow. I mean, like she tells me these stories and I'm like, I cannot wait to have that kind of group. That's amazing. And I will go to McDonald's. And she's like, she goes, yeah, like, cause we, someone suggested us going and watch that. I go, we don't have time to waste money like that. Like we just go to McDonald's and these women are, they've, I mean, these women have done extremely well. CEOs yeah. and stuff like that. They're like, I go, you don't need a fancy things. You just need friendship. You need good people yeah. in your, in your life. And you can go and you can do that anywhere. And I'm like, Oh my God. I love you. I love you. He was saying how even so during, the pan- during the pandemic, they're like, they just got McDonald's and they sat in their cars. They're like, we're not going to go inside. We just sat in our cars. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so it, cool. it, you're, it doesn't, cause it's like, what's important here. I mean, don't get me wrong. One of our jokes is like, okay, who's going to get the private jet first? You know? Cause like professionally we're like, yeah. Or like, I, I'm going to back you up when you make a million dollars. Like, let's go like, you know, game on. Um, I love it. But at the same time, we don't need it, you know? And it, I think what's so interesting too is, we're at the point in our lives where, you know, we're like, uh, can we hang out and not talk about our businesses? And then we're like, no, because we all love our businesses so much. Like we, you know, the work that we do, um, really is important to us. And I think that's, that, that is why I did it in the beginning is that like, I want to talk about my business all day, (laughs) like not all day, but I want to talk about it. And so it's like in this group, you can dive in from like, oh, like, you know, what's this rash on my kid's leg to like, okay, and now can you help me talk through this client scenario or whatever it is? And, you know, they can just meet you wherever you're at at any point. Oh my God. I love it. All right. So this is like a perfect way to start talking about the business. What is, what is the business? What do you do? Who are your best clients? The business started out as Sarah Harmon Wellness. Uh, it was, or it is uh, yoga and therapy and then corporate wellness programs, right? So that was, you know, where it started when I left uh, Wentworth and with my first kid. And I still have that. I still have a small clinical practice. I still do corporate wellness and I still, um, I don't teach public yoga classes anymore, but I will forever be a yoga and mindfulness teacher. Mm-hmm. And then what happened is, is I was having these conversations with women and moms about, uh, struggles that they were having in their life were around perfectionism. And, um, when they, especially when they became a mom and not taking care of themselves and, um, trying to find affirmation and love and permission to take care of themselves 
from their moms or from anyone else. And it was hard to get right for, for many of them, you know, their mom wasn't the best model. And personally, I was having my own journey with my own mother around, uh, she, she struggles with a, a mental illness. And so the, the intersection of my personal experience with my own mother and really my own journey of becoming, uh, this, true student of what I now teach, right? I was, I'm always a student, but I was really in the work for almost a decade, I would say, of um, learning how to use mindfulness and self-compassion to mother myself. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't really call it that at the time, right? But now I I am laser clear on this practice being a self-nurturing, a self-affirming, a self-accepting, and really the, the grand uh, the grand term is mothering. It's a mothering myself practice in the absence of a mother who was able or capable of uh, giving it to me. Um, and because I was having, like I was having my own, my own process and then I was having this conversation and it was like women were just like speaking the same language. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, for all of us, like it doesn't, you don't need to have a mom to the extreme that I have of struggle. You're also struggling with some of the same things I've been working on. And so what happened was, is, um, and it, I was also, you know, business owners can relate to this for a good chunk of time. I was throwing spaghetti at walls around workshops. Like I was teaching sides of happiness and, and I was teaching yoga workshops over here and I loved it, but I, I kept saying to this group, right. I was like, I, Want, I'm at A and I want to get to B, but I don't know what B is. And I, like, I was so frustrated because I was like, I know there's a B or I know there's a D and I'm at like B and I, I don't know what those, I don't know what those initials, those middle steps are. And what happened was, is that I had uh, the same group was like, they were basically convinced me to just like, I was trying the, the, like the shaking off the Wentworth off my foot that I like, you know, trying to say goodbye to that. I also was lingering with one final public yoga class. It was this weekly yoga class that really was part of my identity. I'm a yoga teacher. I have a weekly yoga class and letting go of that. There was a fear of like, well, am I like, am I not going to be a yoga teacher anymore? Or like, what if I want to go back and teach? Like that was a prime time spot at a prime studio. And as a yoga teacher, you really have to work up to that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, am I giving up my final yoga class? Like, what does that mean? So I, so I did it. It took me like, again, like a, a long, I had to go through my process and I said goodbye. And the, the, it's the bigger picture is once you create the space and you take that leap, it falls into place. It's like clearing out your closet. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, then you can put what you love in there. I had to create the space. So the night of, like, you can't make this shit up the night before my last yoga class that I taught, I had one of those, like, it was a spiritual evening. It was a spiritual download. I couldn't sleep. My mind was buzzing. And my youngest, who was not a great sleeper, was up. And I remember thinking, like, I'm so glad she's up because my mind was, like, cooking, cooking, cooking. And a long story short is I basically, it came to me. I was like, I am creating, a, I'm, I'm going to create this company uh, that essentially is for women to learn how to mother themselves with mindfulness and self-compassion. And in my head, I was going through business names and of course, like URLs. Right. And I was like, what is it? Like literally just, it was so busy and my kid was up. And so I, because she was up, I, I went down to soothe her and I went straight to my computer because it, it was like a light bulb. It was like the school of mom and mom stands for mothering oneself mindfully. And I, 
bought the URL at 3 a.m. along with like five others that were similar. Similar. I bought Mothering Myself Mindfully. I bought School of Mom. I bought everything. And I went to bed with this massive smile on my face because I was like, this is B, right? Like, this is it. This is where I've been going to. This is all the spaghetti is like going to cut. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And I, and I have a video. I, it's funny that you're bringing this up because I was thinking I need to find this video. It was at my class was at 6am. I hadn't slept. Right. Cause I had this amazing like epiphany and this coming together of like, uh, what is it? What is it going to be? And I recorded a video for my group, my business group. And I was sitting outside my yoga class. I said, you guys, I got it. And I send them this video. It was like a you know, they all got it like 6am. I couldn't not send it. So I, you know, still, still sorry if I woke you up too early. And it was like, this is it. It's the school of mom. It stands for mothering oneself mindfully. I went in and I taught like my last class, my last public class. I still haven't gone back to teaching publicly weekly. Uh-huh. And I came out of the class and they were all like, fuck yeah, this is it. <laughs> okay. you know? and I'll, I'll let you cuss. Don't cuss. No more cussing. That was the last one. No more cussing. I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> they were like, Amazing, Sarah. Good for you. No more cussing. But it was like, they couldn't, they like, they were like, this is, yes, it makes sense. And so that's where the school of mom came from really is this, you know, it was, it was from my own work and the work that I was doing in this, in the Sarah Harmon wellness. Um, And now it's, I launched it on mother's day of 2020. Now what's important to note, it was supposed to be launched in fall of 2021, Mm -hmm. but as we know, the pandemic happened and I saw this acute need to accelerate the launch to provide a community and a resource for women when things were starting to go very dark. Yep. So I was working, I mean, I've never had an online business before. I was working up late nights, figuring out like Kajabi, this back end, you know, course thing and building a new website and getting this course off the ground. And, uh, I welcomed, I think it was 40 something women into my first program. And it's the rest is like, now it's just evolved. The, the school mom now is I have have taken a two year period to really get clear on my offerings and Mm -hmm. what, what those like offerings are and who's, you know, who's where in the journey of, of the school of mom. And, uh, and that core program is actually one I'm about to run today. The, the last day to register is today um, for, for this cohort. And it's, but there's all, like levels now. And yeah. it's so cool. You know, it's been a, it's been a lot of work, as you know, Jody. Like I am, I can't believe how much work I've put in to this, this business baby. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so pumped for where it's at today. Cause it is, when I look at it, it is like, it, it makes sense. Right. In the beginning I was like, okay, so it is the school of mom and I get what it is, but what is it? Is it an online course? Like, is it a, what is it? And so now it is an online course or online program, but there's a, there's a membership and then there's a very intimate membership. Um, and so it really is, is much, there's much more clarity. And so that's the school mom. Now you know, we're coming up on our, uh, two year anniversary which is wild. Well, well, I love this because I mean, I started this, I started the podcast in April, 2020. Well, I mean, March, 2020, when everything started closing down. So like now you have this idea, um, you are excited about, you have your group, the world, the buzz is starting to happen. The world starts to shut down. You're, you have this business. 
how does it come together? Not only for you, you worked hard for this business. I mean, I think, I think that, I mean, not inside, it's not, I think, I know small businesses, we hustled. We hustled hard during the pandemic. When we saw all these different things on the news, people like, there's, I mean, there were people in the news that were freaking out. We were freaking out, but we had to hustle because we we're too small to fail. It's not, it's not part of our DNA. How are you able to stay excited, build out your business, still take care of yourself during a pandemic with two kids and a husband? Go. <laughs> this is the, the million dollar question. <laughs> the million dollars that I haven't made yet question. Yeah. <laughs> but you will, but you will. It's but coming. I will. It's coming. So I've, uh, I've had this question just around like, how's the pandemic been for you? So when everything was the hardest in terms of lockdown, right, March, 2020, my kids, the ages that they were, my oldest was in a school, a preschool, yeah. my youngest wasn't old enough. Okay. And so we had a nanny uh, and she was three days a week. Uh, but because we had the nanny, essentially what happened was it was actually like kind of a blessing that my youngest wasn't quite in school now mm. looking back on it because we had her and we basically said to her, I think she was working with one other family. And we said to her, like, can you just work with us? Mm. Are you willing to like, just commit to us and come into our pod? And it is because of her and that support that I was able to, to continue to work because, okay. um, my, like my kids needed care. Right. Yeah. And so she just, she was already coming for my youngest. So my oldest just jumped in there. So we had childcare. The other key component in me actually tangibly getting this business off the ground mm -hmm. was that I had an office space in downtown crossing that, mm -hmm. um, I was able to go to because my husband was working where we're talking right now in this office. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we live in Boston and like, we're fortunate to have a, a, a bigger house than like one of our, our previous apartment in Charlestown, but yeah. there's nowhere to go. Like, I can't see clients when my husband's working and two kids in the nanny are here. It is right. like, I, I did it one day uh, in our laundry room, which is like the basement essentially. And it was so cold and the internet <laughs> dropped for every single crying mom I was talking to. And I actually had like a, a, a pseudo like panic attack myself by the end of the day, I was freezing <laughs> and I was so stressed out. And so I was like, I'm going into the office. Like there's no one in there. Like it's mm -hmm. open. Uh, and so for a year I walked to downtown crossing and back. Yep. Uh, and we had our nanny for the most part, right? Like there was definitely some shuffling of days and stuff like that, but that enabled me to continue my, my Sarah Harmon wellness, my clinical work, mm -hmm. which then that this, when I think of my businesses, like I, you know, I don't, this might seem woo woo, but I really do believe my, my businesses are there. Like they have a soul, right? Like they have, they're their own, they're their own entity, right? In it, not just like a, a business entity way. And the Sarah Harmon wellness that my, my, my initial company supported, mm -hmm. supported the school of mom, not just financially, but really like it just it kind of the, even the office like helped held space for me to, to put up all the programs and to record all the videos and, um, to keep my own mental health in check, literally, as I was walking back and forth, that yep. was my sanity time just to walk away from my house and to walk away from my work. Yep. Um, so those were some real tangible things that enabled me to do to, to launch it. The other piece was um, at the time I knew that. So I talked about this business group. I also knew that the school of mom was going to need a lot because it was it was in an 
egg stage, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, I know what this is. I know what the title is, but I actually don't really know what it is. <laughs> like, I don't actually know what it's going to look like uh, other than this like one program. Like, what is it going to look like? Mm-hmm. So I signed up for, um, there's a woman named Kate Northrup and she wrote a book called Do Less and her book really resonated for me. And I was listening to a podcast of hers while I was out at the playground with one of my kiddos. And she mentioned she was doing this incubator program mm-hmm. and that she was going to welcome in, you know, people. Uh, and I, I went home. I am not kidding. I went home. I opened up a Google form to apply yeah. like, like and in five minutes. I didn't even reread any of my answers. I was just like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I feel called. This yeah. might be it's literally the fact that it was called an incubator. <laughs> I was like, this is it. And so that was a space. And in that group, not only was Kate really helpful, but I met a, uh, an online business strategist. We were paired out of 20 people. She was my buddy. Like they yep. just paired us. I still work with her. She is a brilliant mind. She knows online business like through and through. She lives mm-hmm. in Australia. And it's a big piece of where I'm at today was her because she, if it, she was like, if I, if I didn't have her, it's like bumpers on a bowling alley. I would have been all over the place because yeah. I've never done this before. So really, I think those are the three big pieces is um, the, I had the ability to continue my clinical work because of um, the, the nanny was number one, like my, yeah. my home had support. Um, the, the clinical work was happening. I had the office space that yeah. the financially was kind of fueling it. And then I had this amazing strategist who was just kind of giving me the lane to stay in mm-hmm. and asking me all the right questions and saying like, this is the tech you need. And this is the email you need to write and blah, blah, blah. And, and that was a huge part of it. And then I had um, the last piece would be, I had a yoga community that existed already that knew yep. me. And so many of them in that first program, their feedback was like, we didn't even really know what it was. We just knew that you were teaching it. So we knew we needed to be a part of it. And, you know, I was like, That's okay, well, awesome. I think I, Perfect. I need to clarify my message a little bit. Like, and so I have, but in the beginning it was like, this is the program. And people were just like, pandemic. Yes. Like done. And so that's how, you know, that's where it started. Oh my God. So I, I, what I keep hearing over and over and over again, which is what makes me so happy. Number one, I totally believe universe speaks to you. I mean, like Lily, when something is meant to be, the universe will hear it and the universe will provide. You just got to tell the universe. I mean, like, I think that a lot of people just like, don't go with their gut. And they're like, well, they're, my competitors are doing it. I'm like, don't do what your competitor, just yeah. like focus on you, focus on what you provide. The universe will take care of you. So I'm a big, 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 big fan of that one. Um, I have this like little thing on my computer and I, I'm just going to even pull it out. Just nobody, I'll even show you where it literally says. Oh, I love that. Keep going. Take that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things. That, so always a reminder where like, just keep, keep your eye on the prize. Yeah. Um, yeah. because like when you know you're doing something that's of like, I mean, of worth of value and you're helping other people, everything will come into play. The second thing I hear over and over again is like your community, you are yes. you've built this amazing community of people that are really legitimately amazing people that are helping you, that are guiding you, that are not afraid to talk to you and, and you're not afraid to talk to them and you guys call each other out. I think that is by and large because people the cattiness is yes, the cattiness is there, but we are living in this world where I don't want to hurt your feelings. I grew up in the Archie Bunker days, like the Fred Sanford days where like people were like uh, on TV, they're like, I go mod. I mean, these people would like, just like, this is what it is. I go, yeah. wow, like the golden girls. I mean, this is what it is. And so 
right now, I feel that we're living in this world that of absolute insensitivity. Everyone is just offended by everything. Um, yeah. But between that and, I mean, not between, like, look, you have the individuals that are constantly offended, but then more so the mental care, which is like going to be our, our, our big, big conversation that we're having right now, where this time, look, there's always been the essence of individuals having a hard time. It's, it's, it's never not existed. Everyone's had a hard time. Some people show it in different ways, but everyone has had some sort of a hard time throughout their lives. The pandemic has brought it in such a forefront in a positive way because now people are talking about it, but in a negative way because we have so many suicides. Um, the one that literally, and it's not like it caught me off guard. I didn't know this with young women, but this Miss USA that just recently committed suicide. I was intrigued by this where one of the things that people have said, and I think that I, I was more intrigued by this because I started getting phone calls because people were like, she had the money. She lived in a, a beautiful place in Manhattan. She worked for extra. She was Miss USA. She was like high energy. I go, and people were all, all of a sudden everyone was like, check on your high functioning people, check on your happy friends because just because they're happy. So I started getting phone calls. I'm like, okay, I don't know about what you guys think about me, but I'm good. I'm a hundred percent. Like literally it's, it was a weird, it's always so weird when someone that is, they, we think that they're phenomenal and everyone, then they commit suicide. So we are dealing and we're seeing and we are appreciating and we are embracing mental care. Mm -hmm. What is that? In, like what changed? I mean, like it, it couldn't just have been the pandemic because I, and I'll use the example of when black lives matter to happen. Um, my cousin and I had a conversation. We're like, but yesterday someone died that was a minority. And what happened today that all of a sudden it's a yeah. thing. It, it blew up out of the water. Um, and we were still home yesterday. So what yeah. happened that all of a sudden mental care is now finally in the forefront because it couldn't have just been the pandemic or was it? Yeah. yeah. My clients, I've said that they, they can throw something at me when I say this, right? Because I, I think that the line, like everything happens for a reason and blah, 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 is actually not helpful a lot of times. But here's what I'm going to say about the pandemic and mental health is that the pandemic has put for better or for worse, and I actually do think it's for better, even though it's super unpleasant. Mm -hmm. It has put everyone into such a pressure cooker that whatever it was that maybe was lurking or was, um, you know, present became something they could not ignore. It was so loud and debilitating that it said, you have no other option right now. Like you're breaking down, like you have no other option, but maybe to get help or to like talk about it or whatever it is. And so in, in one sense, like, you know, like I get, you could throw something at me for saying this, but like that is a little bit of the gift of the pandemic is so many people are getting help now or talking about mental health in a different way. I mean, to come to like what just happened, like women are screaming on national television now about all the emotions and the anger that they've been experiencing over the past two years, but it's not just the past two years, mm. but it's been so penned up that we couldn't ignore it anymore. We had, and we had nothing else to distract us, right? Or to, to I mean, I say coping skills, but a lot of times with mental health, it's distraction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like 
you're trying to just distract. Like it's like you're drinking to ignore what you're feeling or you're zoning out with, uh, with screens or, or food or whatever it might be. And, and it was, we didn't have a lot of the same outlets, whether they be healthy or unhealthy. And so I think the pandemic has put that, that pressure cooker environment on and, and it's, you know, it's, it's just created this environment for, for these intense emotions, right? I mean, fear, uh, hello, like, are it, am, is this going to kill me? Right. Like anxiety, people have anxiety. Like this is anxiety has been waiting for the pandemic. It's like, yeah. this is what I'm around for, you know, like this is my time to shine. <laughs> Um, isolation. When I screen a new client, right? One of the, the first questions we screen for isolation as a risk factor. And now we're asking people to isolate and a community that we particularly worry about is, with isolation is new parents. And we're asking them to isolate. Like mm-hmm. it's like alarm bells times a million going off in my head as a therapist. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, that, that, that uh, I think I've gone a little bit roundabout to your question, but essentially like the pandemic has, has put, has, it's, it's brought mental health to the forefront because it's made us really struggle to, to mm-hmm. a point where we can't ignore it. And, and what's the trajectory for me as a therapist, you know, I, I see these trends and for, at first it was women, uh, clients weren't leaving, old clients were coming back and new clients were reaching out. Like I need mm-hmm. some help. Then it was couples. Do you see couples like partnerships are breaking down? Yep. Um, I went, in, I, my, my partner and I went into couples therapy. Um, and I think that's been a gift, an amazing gift. It pushed us to the brink. And then it was, do you see men or do you know anyone that sees men? My partner needs support. Mm-hmm. And it's just been this slow, like domino effect of kind of who's been trying to hold it up yeah. and who now can't ignore it anymore. I, I love that you, you said that because, um, the stigma of mental care is still there. I don't want my boss. I don't want my colleagues. I don't want my family. I don't want anyone to know that I'm broken. Um, and not understanding that everything breaks, but everything could like you throw on some glue and everyone can be put together. Um, uh, in minority communities, in international communities, they don't ever talk about mental care. Um, as, as individuals are younger and they're being raised in this country, a young, young individuals overall, they're just talking about more. Um, their older parents or grandparents are like, I go, hey, hey, we don't talk about that. Like, get it together, get it together. What would you say to someone that is needing someone to talk to, but yet they have that noise, they have all that noise in their background saying, oh, we don't do that. Yeah, I got a lot of that, right? I think as you're right, like the stigma around mental health, thankfully, is shifting. But I mean, it was in my family. Like my own mom made a comment, I think of like, well, if I need to see a therapist, that means I have no friends, right? And I remember another like older uh, generation person that were family friend was like, and serious, like seriously said this to me, what? You're going to grad school for what? Like, we just have another drink. That was literally what he said, right? And so like, this is like, this is the world we live in. This is the world we grew up in. And so what I would say to people is, you know, you just need to find one resource or ally. And I'm not a huge fan of like, you know, they call like the Instagram therapy, right? Like finding someone. What is that? Instagram therapy? What's that? Like people that are trying to like do their own work through like 
you know, there's a lot of people on Instagram that are posting therapeutic things and messages and, um, and people that are trying to kind of do their own like healing through like a social media outlet. Um, and what I would say is like one of the benefits though, of like the dialogue, if you're subscribing to it, of course, is that like people are more openly talking about their stories and sharing their stories. And so I think finding someone or seeking someone who is openly sharing about their struggle and story, and this is happening now more, right, mm-hmm. on the news. I mean, for, for what happened with the recent scream that I love, like women are like, oh my God, I can talk about my anger now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is awesome. Um, it's opening up a conversation on mental health. But, you know, with suicides, like it, this is co- opening up conversation. It's so heartbreaking and it, it opens up new conversation. And so for people that feel like they can't have the conversation, um, I, it's, it is out there and it just takes one person, uh, that you can, that you can connect to their story that maybe gives you permission t- to share openly. Mm-hmm. And I have clients who will say to me, like, my family doesn't want me. They like, no, cause I, cause I will start in, uh, helping them instigate, uh, implement some boundaries with their yep. families, <laughs> you know, like a college student who's, whose parents were tracking her wherever she, she went. And, um, even after graduation, right. Uh, they were tracking her and they didn't like me because I was talking about setting boundaries with her family. Um, but so, but to find a therapist, whether it's in a college space or, you know, th- then that's private. They don't, it, that's between you and the therapist. Yeah. Um, so if you can connect with some of their story and seek a therapist, it's all confidential, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I encourage people to, to seek that resource for themselves where, I mean, you know, in my community now, like it's pretty normal for people to be like, Oh yeah, I was talking to my therapist the other day and you know, X, Y, Z. And I think our kids too are really familiar with this type of language and, yeah. and hopefully uh, we only continue to be, have a more open conversation around mental health. I think that's, I, I think the word, the, the mental care, I think it's the terminology that people are, that are just, they're afraid of the words and not understanding yeah. what the method is and how it's relieving. It's like, it's like a, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm with a group of women that are helping me with my business. I'm with whether, and I can sit there and say, I'm part of a mentorship program and an accelerator. There's always someone there to help you if you yes. want the help. And if you choose to get the help, but the second that you, as business owners, we can sit there and hear the noise of other people. They're like, oh, you're so smart. Why don't you get a real job? That's still negative noise. That's not going to help you succeed in what you're doing. And so you could, if, if you have enough people saying you're so smart, why don't you get a real job? Your business will fail because now it's starting to pick at you. So now when you're yeah. thinking about your own personal care, if you have enough people picking at you, like I go, oh my God, I go, why don't you just talk to a friend? Why don't talk to, why don't you just grab a yeah. drink? Yes, all that noise is to pick, it starts picking at you. And I think it's like a wonderful thing where boundaries and mm-hmm. focusing on yourself and finding that one person that will actually be your person is really yeah. great. And I mean, and yes, people just assume all like, oh yeah, like all the people that do therapy are all the celebrities. Well, guess what? I go, there's they're they're thriving because of that, because they're asking for help. And people that are, are in your neighborhood, I mean, guarantee for every 10 people you speak to you'll find that person that will literally say, yeah, I speak to someone. They're like, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm totally fine. I just like would rather speak to this total random stranger than to speak to my family and friends sometimes. Like there's, again, the boundaries. Well, you know, I like, I love using metaphors and with college students, I often was like, because I worked at a technology school, I would have to use technology. I'd be like, okay, you know how like you, you like look forward to an upgrade on your phone because your phone has bugs, right? <laughs> like 
we need some bug fixes. Like it's very normal for you to upgrade your phone or for you to send your phone to the shop or whatever. Yeah. Same as your car, your car is broken down, you tune it, right? Your body is, needs some support. You, you work on it. You go to the gym, you eat healthy, you nourish it, right? Our, our brain and our mind are our body, right? We would not have a body without our mind and our body. So I think it's busting through this myth that like this expectation that we should know how to live life as a human, like that we have, like we didn't, like we, we should know how to get through this. Like I should be able to figure this out. I should be tougher. I should be stronger. I should figure this out on my own, whatever it is. And to challenge all of those shoulds and those messages that we got somewhere right because and i think that's what's happening as we talk about it more it's like well why like how how should you know how to navigate this like so a lot of times i'll say to my clients like and they're like sarah i'm struggling i'll say like i would be shocked if you were thriving right now like i would be i would actually be more concerned if you came into this conversation given what's going on with you depending on what it is Mm -hmm. and you said i'm doing okay (laughs) i'm doing really well i'd be like are you sure? Right. Like, so to normalize the conversation of like, I'm not doing well, like I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, today's a bad day or I am super anxious. I am. I have, I have to say that, um, like, I mean, when you're an international kid, we're, you're not allowed to go outside. So I actually love this entire pandemic pause. Cause I'm like, I go, I have enough things to keep me entertained. And so, so I was fine with this when I wasn't, was the black lives mattered. I wasn't fine. Not because of the black lives matter situation, because friends and neighbors were leaving gifts at my door. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. I, I didn't have someone that died. And so for me, that was my breaking point where I was like, I'm not leaving my house. I'm not talking to people. I'm feeling like I'm having a panic attack every single day because it was just like so shocking to me that these are people that know me. They've known me yeah. all along. And I had friends and family and stuff like that. Just like really like, oh my God, I go, I'm so sorry for my white fragility. I'm like, that's a book. It's a, it's a book. Stop talking. Stop being on point. And so it took time where I, I went for walks. I went for swims. I mean, I literally went out and then I had my, okay, people are just so fearful of what's going on that they're just saying whatever's. And then people started regulating, but I started finding my own words to say like, can you, once you start talking on script, call me back, but don't do that. That's just weird. You're weird. Stop giving yeah. me gifts. Although I'm not going to lie to you. I like the wine gifts. Those were like lovely at my door. <laughs> I like those. I'll take those. Yeah. I'll, I'll take, take those. those. Okay. So um, I'm, I've taken so much of your time, but I have two more things. Um, the last question, but then the, the screen. So I wasn't, yes. gonna, it's not that I wasn't going to talk about, it, but I wanted to learn more about you, but yeah. you're known for doing something with screaming. Can you explain to people what you are, what, what is the screaming thing you're doing? In the pandemic, right, as I've spoken to, like, my clients and myself were struggling, um, mm-hmm. as we all were, but, like, moms at home with kids and navigating childcare closures and safety of your kids, right, like, the number one job as a parent is to keep your kid alive, and we didn't know how to do that in the beginning, and, and still, you know, even up through the recent variant, we were still concerned about safety, Um and so all this intense emotion, which really was presenting a lot of times as anger, uh, you know, low grade frustration and anger and then rage, it would just build. And so I was having these conversations with, with the women in my community and we kind of say, oh, like, you know, we just need to go out and field and scream, I think, because that's really all we can do. And they'd say like, okay, <laughs> let's do that. Um, so as someone who's like, you know, 
I'm really comfortable leading workshops and groups and, and classes. And uh, I'm very much like a twist my arm person. I don't need much convincing. I was like, okay, great, let's do it. So I did the first scream for my community in 2021 in March uh, on a field here in Charlestown. I just set the date. I let everyone know. I posted about it on social media. Um, and we had about 13 women, I think, that came out. Um, Were these 13 women your clients or this is a random women? A, mi- a mix. Yeah. Like a bunch of, there was a big mix because the community of Charlestown is really small. So I just posted on it in the, in the Charlestown community listserv or whatever it was. And I posted it. In my, so like yoga friends, you know, just a hodgepodge, um, a hodgepodge of, of women that were, that I knew or even didn't know, you know, some women just grabbed their mom friend mm-hmm. and we screamed and it was freezing cold and it was so awesome. And all of us were like, this was needed. Like still then we were all wearing masks at the time, like for um, a, a, a brilliant photographer um, who's some people have probably seen these pictures. She, you know, was really interested in documenting this time is very like a creative project and kind of a part of her own way of contributing in the pandemic. Um, she took some amazing pictures and a series of pictures of women just, you know, to document how hard it was in this time, just like kind of silently screaming around like all the stuff that we've been trying to manage and hold. Um, so that was the 2021 scream. And so that happened and we joked, we were going to do it every week, but then, you know, the spring and summer happened and we things lifted and it felt better. And then as we know, we entered back into like, for most, most of my clients, uh, everyone had a COVID affected holiday in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then January has been, well, was a very hard month. Uh, so some, some of my, the women in the school mom there, they had no, like, everything was closed. One kid would be uh, in a daycare shutdown. And then the day it opened, it would go back into shutdown. Right. So they like, I think over 20 days of no childcare and trying to manage your job. Right. Um, So in this rage still, but it was different. It was like a bitter rage, not like a fear rage in a way. And so I was like, and so personally though, the best, the, the funniest thing about this is I was supposed to go on a silent meditation retreat. I had it booked for months and it was canceled the week. So the week of the scream, I was, I was scheduled to be away and I needed this. I really like professionally and personally, I was really looking forward to this like time for myself. Um, mm-hmm. It was very impactful when I did it the first time and, and anyhow, it was canceled. And so I went in my own like rage spire. I was pissed. I was like, I needed this. And now I'm like, you know, ah, so um, I scheduled it again. And for me and for my community and we went out and, it got some press, right? So the globe came and because of that globe article and WBUR was there. Um, and uh, well, really what happened was a woman tweeted about it in her group and that tweet went viral. Um, so she put a tweet in this woman named Lucy Huber in, in, in Cambridge uh, or Somerville, who's a neighboring town. Uh, she said, it was something like, if you want to know the state of parents right now, Someone in my mom's group, my mom's Facebook group said they're meeting in, uh, there's a group meeting in a field to scream and there's a lot of RSVP yeses. So that tweet unattached to me went viral. Mm -hmm. And my community kept tagging me in these posts being like, this is us, this is the school of mom. And so it was kind of this like backwards wave of like, wait, what? Like the scream is, it's a thing. It's a real thing. Like, and so it's just been this amazing whirlwind, right? Um, From the globe led to the times led to the today show led to good morning America and CNN. And, um, now I'm talking with a woman who wants to do a documentary and it's like opened up and now we're trying to open up the conversation beyond like the scream has been 
uh, just, I think it's resonated for so many people because people feel seen and heard around anger and their emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, but also there's this bigger conversation, right. Around, uh, the practice of mothering ourselves. And really that's what scream was a part of. It was like meeting yourself in the present moment with how you're feeling and then taking care of yourself. And the Mm -hmm. scream was a tool essentially, uh, in a situation where we, we felt like we needed a release and that was one way to do it. And so I think that's the bigger conversation of how do we you know, the scream is an example of, of mothering ourselves or of self-care, um, of present moment, uh, non-judgmental self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we keep that going? And so, you know, I'm thrilled to be continuing to talk about it and have these conversations because uh, number one, to create a, a dialogue around anger is, is, I think, really important, especially for our, our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, obviously, to talk about mental health and how the scream is a piece of, uh, taking care of ourselves so that we can stay well in our mind and body. Um, I think this is beyond a full gift. I mean, this is like me, I feel like this is like, a, this is exactly how we end full circle back to Ithaca when they're like that anger room full circle. I didn't know those existed. Someone's told me there's rage rooms. Yeah. yeah I'm like, like, this is amazing. It's, it, it, you yeah. know what? It's, it's so smart because I mean, I remember one time that, um, my, I, so I would get fibroids. I've had three fibroid surgeries and I go, and it's because I, I hold anger in and cause I'm a happy go lucky person, but I hold anger in. And my doctor asked like, do you cry? I'm like, I go, I'm not sorry. Do you punch walls? I'm like, Oh no, no, no. That's I, I punch walls. No. It's like, do you cry? I go, so exhausting to cry. Like it's exhausting. I mean, this is, I will never watch this as us only because I hear you cry. You cry every single episode. I'm like, well, has time for that. Like so exhausting. So, so I love that you have this because so many people just need to release. They need to release. They need to get things out. For me, it's artwork. It's like, I mean, like I like really enjoy my artwork. Photography is my therapy. It's how I learned how to speak English. I go out with my, with my phone. And I could take pictures for hours. And I'm telling you, the happiness that it feels, I think that everyone has to find their thing, cooking, walks, runs, whatever. I mean, like, yeah, just any way that you can sit there and like take that time for yourself, I think is, is huge. And I think that for mom, moms take care of husbands, wives, they take care of the children, they take pets, care of parents, children, pets, parents, they yes. take care of the community, they take care of everyone, but themselves and so i'm thankful for you for being around for knowing since the time that you were younger this was your calling yeah hi this is why we need to hear your story because you the screamer that's one part of it but you sarah and all the things that you've experienced is what makes you the perfect person right now to do what you're doing so bravo my friend bravo well thank you and you know just to to one final thing is, you know, I, I bring it back to my mom and I, it's, it's been very emotional for me through this to think what, where would my mom be if she had been able to scream when she was raising three kids and probably felt an intense amount of rage mm-hmm. and had support, you know, would it be different? Would I have a relationship with her now? You know, would her mental health be different? And, and really that is, you know, my why is she's a driver and my kids are a driver. I want them to have um, of, to be having a very healthy dialogue mm-hmm. daily around, uh, around their mental and emotional and physical health in a way that, you know, are not, I mean, not that there there's outliers, but traditionally, you know, our parents weren't having these conversations. We're beginning to have them. And hopefully by the time they become moms, you know, making time for themselves, it's just, it's just what they do. They don't need to talk about it. They don't need to learn how to do it. They don't need to defend it. Yeah. They just, it's just part of being a mom. 
they, they understand its value and that they don't need, they are worth it. And it's mm-hmm. part of like how they can show up as they want to. Well, think about the whole entire concept of they, they got married younger. Um, yep. Their children were their buddies. Yep. Children went away and they had that whole entire the emptiness syndrome was dramatically difficult for them. And then grandkids are where they try to stem recoup and try to like, okay, let me try to do it again. And some of them don't get to see the grandparent years. Some people get to do it and they're like, okay, now I can see where I, where I went wrong or where I didn't take time for myself. So, so it's a, it's a full circle for some people and some people don't get to get the full circle. They get half a circle and the people that are still living are the ones that are like, oh, wow, we're living with this and we're living with like the, how do we fix the problem? How do we break the chain? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Miss Sarah, this is not going to be the last time we talk, but um, because this was awesome, I I don't know why I'm not your bestie because you're I know. Awesome. Well, like you're, I mean, you're, you're, lo- you're local. I know you are local. I'm like I'm loving you so much. Um, I tell everybody um, this will never be the last conversation because especially with mental care, there's so many times that I will yeah. definitely say like, hey, guess what? There's right. something in the news. Can we just discuss this? Because um, yes, you bring so back. many, yeah, because you bring so many different levels of conversation and just some realness to this, which is really wonderful. Thank you. But um, we're going to end this right now. And the way that I end is the same way that I end every single time we talk is if we had, if you had a personal ask and a professional ask of anyone that's listening to you right now, what would be your personal ask and what would be your professional ask? My, so my personal ask to your listeners um, would be to be kind to yourselves. I, you know, I, it, it's a, to acknowledge that you're human and to be human is to have struggle and that you're not alone. Be very kind to yourselves. Those are, it's really the, the practice of self-compassion. That's your personal. And my, my business ask is we need you to do the work that you're called to do. Right. Like, especially women, when women are in tune with what lights them up, the world changes. It does. Like women do the value that we like provide to others is, is just, it's infinite. The possibilities are infinite, right? I think the currency that women work in is, is so beyond dollars. It's amazing. And I think that is something that if there's, a, you know, I love men too. I, I support any man that wants to go into business, but I will say that um, for the women that I work with and the women that I'm so grateful and fortunate to be around in business, like we are making huge waves and, and changing the world. And so we need you to be connected to your journey and your calling and to follow it uh, because uh, we, yeah, all of us will be better for it, be better for it. Bravo. Just like, I mean, like really just so, so many nuggets, so many insights and what a wonderful way to end. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. And thank you so very much. I mean, I do zero homework in regards of like who I'm talking to. Um, I invite you, if you say yes, you say yes. If you say no, you say no. Um, I, but I, I, I'm so excited every single time I get to meet someone new, whether you're local or whether you're not, because I would have never met you guys. So Kylie, she just. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God. You're awesome. Thank you so very much until next time. And then go forth and just do whatever you're going to do for the rest of the day. Amazing. Thank you. Bye, Sarah. Have a great day. Bye.